episode 12. Welcome to the podcast, Life of Awesome. My name is Saul Blinkoff. I'm a husband, father of four, and director-producer who works for some of the top studios in Hollywood, including Disney, DreamWorks, and Netflix. My goal? Simple. I want to live the best life I possibly can, and I want the same for you. I travel the world talking about life, and if there's one thing I've learned, every single person on the planet wants the exact same thing. We don't want a life of good. We don't want a life of great. We want a life of awesome. I really want to thank you for being here today listening. I realize there are so many podcasts out there, and I really appreciate you giving me the most valuable thing that you have, your time. If you like the podcast, please hit the subscribe button, give us a rating, a review, and of course, share it with your family and friends. That said, let's get into it. In 1982, I was 11 years old, and I went to see the movie E.T., That's right, Steven Spielberg's masterpiece. And I will never forget watching that screen and seeing that movie is what made me want to be a director someday. I actually got to meet Steven Spielberg once and I told him that. And he said to me, quote, thank you, I'll take that home with me. It was pretty cool. And the movie stars Henry Thomas, who plays the little boy Elliot. And in the opening of the movie, Elliot goes outside in the middle of the night. He hears a sound in the shed. And he has a run-in with this creature, but he doesn't know what it is. He didn't get a good look at it. And the next day, he's sitting at the kitchen table with his little sister, Drew Barrymore. Remember, this cute little girl with the blonde pigtails, his older brother, and his mom. And none of them believe him. It's not that we don't believe you, honey. Well, it was real, I swear. Maybe it was an iguana. It was no iguana. Maybe a... You know how they say there are uh, alligators in the sewers? Alligators in the sewers. All we're trying to say is, maybe you just probably imagined it. I couldn't have imagined it. And then Elliot says, Dad would believe me. Dad would believe me. But his dad's not there because his parents are divorced because his father ran out with some other woman. And his mother responds, Maybe you ought to call your father and tell him about it. I can't. He's in Mexico with Sally. And out of everything to say at that moment, he probably shouldn't have said that. She gets up from the table, walks away. She leaves the room crying, and Elliot's sitting at the table, and his older brother looks to him and says, Damn it, why don't you grow up? Think how other people feel for a change. Boom. And that's what the entire movie is about. That's what Elliot needs to learn, how to feel for someone else. And that's a message for all of us. We need to learn to have empathy. You see, there's really a big difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy is just understanding someone is in pain. We do that with our minds. But empathy, on the other hand, is literally experiencing someone's pain emotionally, really feeling for that person. When someone we know goes through something really difficult, sometimes we just don't know what to say. We don't, we don't have the right words. And sometimes we don't need to say words. Just being with them and allowing them to have a space to feel what they feel is comforting enough. Because using the wrong words can often minimize the other person's pain. You know, someone goes through a difficult tragedy, a difficult time in their life. You don't want to say, you know what? 
this could be a blessing in disguise. Instead, allow the person the right to feel their pain. A couple years ago, I was a, a leader on a men's trip to Israel. It was for fathers. It was like 140 dads. And throughout the trip, a couple of these dads at certain times would take me aside and open up to me about what they were going through in their lives. And I'll never forget, there was this one guy, big, strong guy from South Africa, who takes me aside and says, Saul, I'd like to talk to you. And opened up to me that his son, who I think at the time was around 11 years old, totally normal, healthy kid. One day, his son stopped speaking. I think he stopped speaking at like three or four years old. So for like the last four or five years, there's not a word that came out of his son's mouth. Now, I don't know if it was a medical condition. All I do remember is that he opened up to me about something that was very painful for him. And I just listened. A couple days later, we had a dinner for all the guys. We're sitting in this giant room. And a couple of guys are getting up one by one to speak about what the trip means to them. So I go over to this guy and I say, hey, do you want to share anything about the trip? He walks to the center of the room. So it's like 150 guys, all the tables around this huge room, like the size of a gymnasium, stands up on this wooden box so everyone can hear him. And the whole room quiets down and he's standing up on that box and he says two words, my son. And then he can't say anything else. And then all of a sudden his voice starts to quiver and shake and he just stands there and he starts weeping. And all of a sudden, from across the room, the 10 other guys from South Africa get up from the table, walk across the room in silence, come over to him, form a huddle around his legs as he's standing up on that box, and they just hug him. And as they're holding him, he just breaks down crying. And the entire room watched this in awe. And every man stood up, and from where they were standing started this emotional clapping in support of what we had just witnessed. And I can tell you, I will never forget the look on this man's face as he was weeping and knew that there was a brotherhood around him, supporting him, allowing him to feel that pain, not trying to fix the pain, just letting him know you are not alone. It was the most powerful moment of the entire trip. You know, one of the ways to feel that is to first think, can I relate to what they're going through? And even if we haven't gone through what that person goes through, we should stop and take a moment and try and imagine what it must feel like. If we relate to that in any small way, that's how we can start to open up to really feeling what another person feels. You know, for me personally, I have had many family members and friends that have gone through surgery. And whenever I had someone I knew went through surgery, while the person was going through surgery, I'd say, oh, I hope it goes well. Or afterwards, I'd say, how are you feeling? But this past year, I actually went through my own surgery. I had a minor surgery on my parathyroid in my neck, the first surgery of my life. And let me tell you, the recovery for surgery is excruciating discomfort, excruciating. I mean, it was literally a week of lying in bed of one of the worst feelings I had ever felt. And you know what I realized while I was lying at home recovering over that week? I realized all the missed opportunities I had to really be there for people in my life who have gone through surgery before me. Because now that I experienced how difficult it was, I actually felt guilty. I remember calling up my mom who went through the same surgery I went through a couple years earlier. And I apologized to her. And I said, mom, I'm, I'm sorry that I wasn't more sensitive to what you went through. When you went through that surgery, okay, I checked in on her, but I didn't really realize the pain that she must have gone through 
And I felt like I wasn't there for her enough. And you have to start with your inner circle. If you think about your family, people you love, your spouse, siblings, your parents, think about those relationships. Do we take those relationships for granted? Do we not really empathize with those people closest to us? You know, some days driving home from work, it would be a very difficult day for me. And I'd pull up to our home. I'm about to walk in our home. What am I going to do? I'm going to vent about my day. I'm going to walk in and I'm going to tell my wife, oh my gosh, I had this kind of day and I'm going to vent. I'm going to tell the kids I need to be not bothered because I had a difficult day. Or before I come into my home, before I walk through that doorway, I can stop for a moment and think, you know what? I know I could walk in and let my wife know what kind of day I had, but do I even know what kind of day she had? Am I going to bring the struggles of my day into my home? Why don't I leave it at the door and walk in and the first thing out of my mouth instead of venting to her could be, honey, what kind of a day did you have? Or what about my kids? What, my kids can't have a difficult day? What, a seven-year-old can't have a difficult... Of course they have difficulties. You know, it's tough to empathize with our children because with our children, we usually project our agendas on them, don't we? We have goals for them. We have ideas in our head of how we want them to act, how we want them to speak, who we want them to be. But sometimes with our kids, it's important to just allow them to be themselves and to let them know that we're here for them. It's amazing to me how many parents of infants are always embarrassed when their children cry in public or try to hush them up. Quiet, don't cry. We're in a supermarket. Oh, we're at a restaurant. Don't cry. All we're doing as parents in those situations is telling our kid, don't share your feelings. And the more we hush them up, the more they're going to learn how to keep those feelings inside. If you're listening to this and you have teenagers, you know those days when you pick up your teenager from school or they come home and you ask them, hey, what'd you do today? What do they always say? Nothing. But do you remember when you picked them up when they were little? Remember what it's like to pick up a first grader from school and you ask them, what did you do today? What do they tell you? Everything. They tell you everything they did. I went to the bathroom. I wiped myself. I closed the door. I used a red crayon. I used a blue crayon. I sat next to her. I sat next to him. I ate this. I ate this. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you have to tell me so much? Maybe just consolidate a little bit. And we have an opportunity every night when we're tucking our kids in to have a very deep connection with them. Some parents, for tucking at night, they tuck in their kids, they give them a kiss. They're like, I got to get out of here and get back to the couch and finally have some quiet to myself and maybe watch a Netflix show. But then there's the parents who are like, you know, let me at least read to my kid. I'll read to my kid for five minutes. Then I'll give him a kiss and get out of there and go watch my Netflix show. But you see, tucking is an amazing opportunity. My wife and I have a goal to sit on our kid's bed and talk to them before they go to bed. Because for a child, At the end of their day, they're not just going to tell you what they did that day. They're going to tell you what they felt about what they did that day. That's right. All the emotions come out. And that's an opportunity for us to empathize with our children, to let them know we care. We feel for them. They're not alone. You know, so often I get the question from people, parents who are having difficulty with their teenagers. They get to a point where their teenagers feel like their parents are judging them all the time. The teenagers become a closed door. They don't open up and tell them anything. And if we as parents start a foundation where our kids know that they can come to us and share with us, one of the most important tools we need to remember from every age is that when they do share something with us, the first thing out of our mouths isn't what we think about what they chose to do, meaning judging them. Just let them speak. Because if the first thing they think every time they speak to us is, mom or dad are going to tell me what they think about what I did, 
then they're not going to start telling us everything because the older they get, they're going to realize, oh, mom and dad won't like that. I'll leave that one out. As opposed to getting to a point where they think that, you know what, I can share this with my parents because I feel comfortable letting them know the struggles, ups and downs that I go through. And then what happens is we leave a space for them to ask us, what do we think about it? They'll want to know our opinion, but it has to be on their terms, not ours. And it's the same thing with our spouses. You know, me and my wife are so busy. We're like passing ships in the night. We barely have time to talk during the day. We're juggling so much. And when we do talk, it's a lot about, I got to do this and she has to do this and I have to do this. And this is what I just did. It's about all the things we're doing or have to do. But at night, once the kids are asleep, we actually have a moment, not to just talk about what we did or what we need to do tomorrow. It's an opportunity to connect on what we feel. And the next time your spouse tells you something they did, ask them a question, ask them how they feel about it. That way they'll know that you're listening to them, that you care, that they're not alone. That's empathy. And once you're in a relationship where two people are trying to empathize with the other, then you get vulnerability. Then you get intimacy. If you think about arguments you've had with people in your life, difficulty, and if you're in a close relationship with someone, then of course, there's always going to be that argument. There's going to be that difference of opinion. And in those moments, most of us put all our energy trying to convince the other person that they're wrong. Can you imagine if we took that energy and turned it into, let me try and understand the other person's perspective more. The most important thing in any disagreement with another person is to first let them know that we are making an effort to try and understand what they feel. We got to try to get into their brains, see the world through their eyes. What is it like to walk in their shoes? Once they know that we want to understand where they're coming from, now we can have a discussion because most of the time we're just telling the other person where we're coming from. A brilliant man, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, he said, we need to see the world through another's eyes and try to feel what they're feeling and then say the word or do the action that speaks to their emotions, not yours. It's not easy. Very few people do this, but those who do, he says, will change the world. And there's so many moments in our lives when we can feel empathy for people, not just people we love or our friends, but for strangers. You ever go to a restaurant and you have a server that's running around crazy, busy, going from this table to that table, and he or she comes over to your table, they apologize, your food is coming late. You know what we can do in those moments? We can look up to them and say, boy, it must be difficult to have all this on your shoulders right now. Thank you. They're like, wow, this person understands what I'm going through. You know how comforting that is for that person? And don't be like most people who act like they're going to die because they haven't eaten in three weeks. So you wait another 10 minutes for your meal. Big deal. You know, we'll be in the car sometimes with the kids and an ambulance drives by the sirens or a fire engine. We don't know who's in trouble. But us along with our kids, while we're in the car listening to that siren, we'll stop and we say, if anyone's in trouble, we hope they're okay. We're not even saying it to the people in trouble. But you see, when we feel empathy for other people, it changes who we are. Pixar made a movie years back called Inside Out. And there's this really powerful scene where there's this character, Bing Bong, who had a very deep connection to this character, Riley. And he thinks she's gone forever. And he's sitting there crying and grieving for the loss of this person he was close to. And this girl, Joy, tries to cheer him up. Hey, it's going to be okay. 
We can fix this. We just need to get back to headquarters. Hey, who's ticklish, huh? Here comes the tickle monster. But it doesn't comfort him at all. You see, she doesn't realize that when someone's grieving in pain, you just can't come over and just fix it for them. You need to feel for them. And then this other character comes up. Her name is Sadness and displays the most beautiful form of empathy. I'm sorry they took your rocket. They took something that you loved. It's gone forever. Sadness, don't make him feel worse. It's all I had left of Riley. I bet you and Riley had great adventures. Oh, they were wonderful. Once we flew back in time, we had breakfast twice that day. Sadness! It sounds amazing. I bet Riley liked it. Oh, she did. We were best friends. Sadness just sits next to him as he starts to cry and just let it out. I'm okay now. One of the worst things that we can feel when we're going through pain is that we are alone. Arthur Steinbeck has a quote. He says, no greater burden can be borne by an individual than to know no one cares or understands. The feeling of going through pain is one thing, but to go through it alone and feel that no one is there to support me, no one understands what I'm going through, no one cares, that's devastating. You know, most people struggle with opening up and being vulnerable. So if someone does open up to you, it's a good thing to show gratitude to them that they are opening up. Let them know that you appreciate them sharing something real. Literally say, you know, thanks for sharing that with me. It really means a lot. Thanks for trusting me. We need to show interest and ask them, you know, what has this been like for you? Like, give them a space. Let them know you really want them to share. But instead of saying, oh, it's going to get better, or here's what I would do in that situation, just remind the person that you love them, that you're here for them. You see, in the movie E.T., that film is all about teaching empathy, compassion, understanding. And once Elliot feels for another being, which is what was lacking of him in the beginning of the movie, now he's motivated to help him. And if E.T. wants to go home, Elliot's goal is, I want to help send him home. His goals become my goals. But E.T. begins to get sick, surrounded by scientists. And one of the scientists wants to understand the connection between E.T. and Elliot. And the scientist questions Elliot's big brother. Elliot thinks it's thoughts. No, Elliot, Elliot feels his feelings. And now Elliot has learned to feel for someone else. Inspirational quote of the week. This quote comes from world-renowned author on behavioral sciences, Daniel Goleman. And he says, quote, true compassion means not only feeling another's pain, but also being moved to help relieve it. You see, simply said, sympathy is feeling for someone else, or empathy is feeling with someone else. And through that experience, we end up growing and having a life that's more meaningful, a life that's more awesome. 
Thank you so much for being here today listening. I really appreciate you spending your time with me. Please, again, subscribe, like us, rate us, review us, share us with your family and friends. And I truly hope that each and every one of you has an incredible life and not just a life that's good and not just a life that's great, but that each and every one of you has a life of awesome. That's why I'm different. I can sense the slightest human suffering. Are you sensing anything right now?